0: This message was presented at the GYC to the End in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at GYCweb.org. Good morning. I want to thank you folks for coming. We're going to get started. And I once again really appreciate you being here. Uh, This seminar is entitled The Art of End-Time Preaching, and uh in our first presentation, we started off very broad, it was a more of an inspirational message, talking about the power of preaching, which is the Word of God, not our own ideas or speculations or opinions. We talked about the purpose of preaching, which is uh, giving people a reason to believe that they might be saved. And we talked about the possession of preaching, having a personal experience with the person behind the passage, that is the Lord Jesus. In our next presentation, we're going to talk about the foolishness of preaching and the wisdom of God. It's going to be more practical, and as we continue on in this seminar, the the presentations will be more and more practical. This is actually a 12-part series. I'm giving half of the seminar in the the six presentations we have here. Uh, But if you are interested in the whole seminar, you can go to our website, artofpreachingseminar.com. artofpreachingseminar.com. And you'll find uh, the rest of the presentations there as well. Uh, I want to give you a little preview of tomorrow. Tomorrow is really uh, the best day of the seminar. We're going to start with the first, we have four presentations. The first one is entitled The Matter of the Message. And we're going to deal with eight things that every sermon, every Bible study ought to be measured by in order for it to be a complete, powerful message. Eight features, eight Fs. It's going to be very, very helpful. Then after that, we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to and dissecting the greatest sermon that has ever been preached from the greatest preacher that has ever preached, Jesus himself. We're going to look into the hermeneutics and homiletics of Christ in his sermon at the mount and learn how to preach just like Jesus did. That's going to be an awesome presentation. And then on our third presentation, we're going to look at 13 Steps of how to prepare a sermon from beginning to end. That's going to be very practical. We're going to go through how to study the Bible and how to craft a sermon, how a sermon is is developed uh, in the womb of our mind and our heart and the process of it being developed before it's being birthed or delivered to the world behind the pulpit. And then our last presentation, one of my favorites, we're going to talk about creative uh, tools of language and speech and talk about the method of the delivery. We're going to deal with the content, but we're also going to deal with delivery. And so tomorrow, that's what you can expect. It's going to be very, very good, very exciting, so we we'll hope you'll come for that. Uh, our time is very limited, but uh, if you do have questions, I'm more than happy to, to, to speak with any, any of you or all of you uh, at, at the end. We can talk one, uh, one-on-one. We also have a booth, Revelation of Hope Ministries booth. Uh, you can also visit us there uh, during the booth times. But this is uh, part three, the purpose of preaching, the foolishness of preaching, the wisdom of God. I hope you brought your Bibles. I hope you brought a notebook. Let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, oh, we are so grateful that you're a God of mercy and a God of grace, a God of justice and a God of righteousness. And Lord, you are the infinite one the one that has made such a profound difference in our hearts. Lord, you've also called us. You're wanting to use us to make a difference in this broken world. You want to use our voice, Lord. And Lord, we don't know how. We recognize that we're inadequate, insufficient. So we pray that you'll teach us as we sit at your feet today that you would mold us and make us preachers of possession. This is our prayer. We ask this in Christ's name, amen, amen. Amen. Once again, as we review briefly, the power of preaching is the word. The purpose of preaching, it's the means of giving others a reason to believe so that they might be saved. And we, as we mentioned, have to be preachers of possession, meaning that it's not just a profession, something that we go to school and learn, it's more than that. It has to be something that we possess within. We have to come up with our own theology of preaching based on the word, of course, but we have to articulate it for our own lives. For me, my definition of preaching is the personal illumination of divine revelation erupting in public proclamation. It is the unlocking of the gates of glory by providing people the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, it's more than a profession. It's a possession. So we dealt with the power of preaching and the purpose of preaching, but in this presentation we want to look at the problems of preaching. Because many times preaching can be very messy, very unmoving and very unimpressive, There are challenges and difficulties, and even weaknesses that we face in preaching. And so, our objective in this presentation is basically to recognize the human weakness of preaching. And as we do so, it will save us from pride and self sufficiency, which is a great trap of the devil when it comes to preaching. But it also demonstrates God's wisdom in choosing what the Bible calls foolishness. Probably the clearest text in the Bible that describes the purpose of preaching is the one that we read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to what? Save them that believe. So again, friends, God's primary way, not his only way, but his primary way of reaching lost humanity is through the foolishness of preaching. But when you think about that, it seems kind of strange that God would choose this method as his primary method. I mean, there's an infinite amount of ways God could have chosen to reach lost humanity. He was not limited to simply preaching. God could have easily written his message across the sky for all to see at the same time. He could have done that. Or he could have given every single person the same vision or the same dream at the same time to communicate his message. He could have performed a miracle to convince the world. He could speak through the angels. They are far more eloquent than we are, or even the dumb animals God could use. And God could have easily come down himself and preach one sermon to the whole world and And have the work finished just like that. And many of these other options, it seems to be more easy and more effective than using broken, sinful, inadequate humanity to communicate the message. Don't you think? These methods seem to be easier and even more effective. So my question is, why did God choose the foolishness of preaching as his primary means? What is so wise about the foolishness of preaching. For some reason, God, in His infinite wisdom, chose this. It seems foolish. That you can preach a sermon and someone's eternal destiny is changed forever. But friends, I can testify that that has been my experience. I'll never forget, friends, when I came to those meetings, when I was 16 years old and there was a lay evangelist he wasn't ordained, he didn't go to school to be a preacher, he was simply a a layman his name was Nehemiah remind me of Nehemiah in the Bible he wasn't a priest or prophet, he was simply a lay person a lay leader and he held evangelistic meetings there in my hometown in Hawaii and I was a 16 year old druggie when someone invited me to those meetings and I came to those meetings and the the presence of God was thick, as the, as the word of God was being proclaimed with power. I was a 16-year-old druggie. This is what I used to look like, burning up my brain cells, a stony boy, a pothead, a wannabe, a roster man, and, and I went to those meetings in that condition, and the power of God's word penetrated my clouded mind. It pierced my hardened heart. And heart. And in that moment, I found my purpose and my calling in life, because God found me in those meetings. I wasn't born and raised in any church. I was a druggie, wasting my life. And as I sat there listening to the message, sometimes listening high, the conviction was so profound and powerful and potent, it was as if God was saying, Taj, one day you're going to stand where that man is standing. One day you're going to be doing what he's doing. I gave my life to Jesus during those meetings. I was baptized. God began to restore those burnt brain cells, and he called me to ministry. And about 10 years later, when I was 26 years old, I stood at the very spot where that man stood 10 years before, and I was doing the exact same thing. God brought me full circle in 10 years. Amen? And since then, we've done over 70 evangelistic meetings all over the world in almost 40 countries. I never would have thought, friends, that I would be doing this for the rest of my life and I wouldn't trade it for anything. God is good. And friends, I share these pictures simply to to share with you that if God can use a druggie like me, he can use anybody. Amen? Amen. As you look back on your spiritual journey. Can you think or remember of a time when your life was changed by a single sermon? Have you had that experience before? Do you remember who was speaking? Or what he said or she said? Or the title of the sermon? One sermon that changed you for anyone would like to just share briefly? Who was it that spoke and what, what was it that they said just in a few sentences? Go ahead. Wow. Leo Scriven, amazing. The Thousand Years, that's the one that got me as well. Anybody else? Walter Veith, all right. Wow. 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 powerful go ahead i remember, escape from the black hole good one yes awesome praise god Who spoke and what was the sermon? Go ahead. Praise God. Beautiful. Amen. A few more? Yes. Uh There was a preacher that related how he had seen other leaders and preachers violating the seventh commandment and how people had just lost faith. And the preacher related how he had prayed that God would let him rest before he would do so. And that preacher was beautiful. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise God, man. Very encouraging. Sister. Amen. 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 Praise God, sister. To God be the glory. A few others. This is... Yes, my brother. Powerful. Leo Scriven. Amazing. Yes. Four kinds, of love. Four kinds of love. Mitch Williams. Oh, wow. Awesome. Back there. Awesome. Unashamed. Beautiful. It's amazing, friends, to think that you listen to a sermon or you preach a sermon and someone's eternal destiny is changed forever. That's powerful. Amen? Amen. Preaching is the primary way God chose and ordained for the salvation of souls. The wisdom of God chose the foolishness of preaching. But why does the Bible call it foolishness? There are two reasons. How many? One is a theological reason. The other is a more practical reason. The theological reason was dealing with the content of the message, and that is the message of the cross. You see, Paul made it clear that it was the message of the cross was to them that perish foolishness. You see, the proud, self-exalting, sinful heart cannot comprehend why a God Would ever die. You see, the gods of the pagans were strong and powerful and vengeful gods, gods that needed to be appeased by human sacrifice. And so the idea of a Christian God, of the Christian God dying upon a cruel Roman cross, was looked upon as ludicrous in the minds of many people during the days of Paul. The pagans and the worldlings looked upon the God of the Christian as weak and as foolish. And they also thought how foolish it is to worship a Jewish carpenter that was crucified as God. That was a foolish thing. People couldn't wrap their minds around it. And that's why Paul said those who are perishing look upon the preaching of the cross as foolishness. You see, the humility of the cross is offensive to the proud, self-exalting, sinful heart. But the problem with the pagans is that they failed to realize and understand that the power of love is stronger than the power of sin and the power of self. Amen? For them, it was a stumbling block. And so Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, because the foolishness of God is what? Wiser, wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. you see, the cross is the foolishness and the weakness of God. But it's wiser and stronger than men. Because, friends, when you think about it, it's natural to retaliate when someone harms us, right? It does not take any wisdom or any strength to retaliate. However, it does require supernatural strength and wisdom to give love in place of hatred. And that's what we see at the cross. And that's why Paul said that that preaching of the cross, yes, to them that perish is foolishness, but for us, it is the power of God. It's the power of love that's stronger than death. And stronger than sin. That's why we ought to glory in nothing except for the cross of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross. I believe, friends, that Calvary's cross is the most powerful tower in the universe. For it is the revelation of the power of love and the wisdom of grace to conquer a world in determined disobedience. And so that's the first reason why the Bible calls preaching foolishness because of the content of the message. But then the other reason is because of the method of preaching, the method of standing up and, 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 and sharing the message. You see, modern secular communication experts, they say that the stand-up, straight-talk, lecture-style approach is the worst form of communication. They say it's ineffective at holding attention and, and producing retention. And so preaching is looked upon by communication experts as something that's outdated, archaic, irrelevant, and old school. But what does God have to say about this? We're not really concerned with what the quote-unquote experts have to say because they're going by a different standard. God says in Romans 10, 17 that faith comes by what? And hearing by the word of God. You see, God wants our faith to rest not upon Outward demonstration, but rather by the hearing of the Word of God, the solid rock of God's Word. An unfaltering faith does not come from feelings or theatrics or emotionalism that goes up and down like a roller coaster, but our faith, a, a faith that lasts, a faith that is firm, has a foundation that is simple and profound the Word of God, the hearing of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. But friends, it seems foolish. That a message of eternal importance would be communicated by something that the experts call outdated and ineffective. I mean, surely there's a more elevated and effective way to communicate the message than through polluted lips and sinful humanity. So why did God choose this method? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, why the Lord did it. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And and by the way, if there's an empty seat next to you, maybe you can move down to the edges. We we have people looking for seats, I think. That would be very helpful. I apologize for not making that announcement earlier. And so why did God choose the foolishness of preaching? It's because, friends, God loves to reveal his wisdom through foolishness. You see, the weaker the vessel, the greater the glory of God. They say that big things come in small packages. And so, friends, the smaller you are in your own eyes, the bigger God is in your behalf. Amen? In other words, God loves weakness. God loves what? Because it's an opportunity to demonstrate the fullness of his power. And so just like, I mean, we see examples of this in day-to-day life. Just like when a scrawny, unwanted six-round draft pick becomes the greatest NFL quarterback of all time, smashing records and winning five Super Bowl rings in the process. Or just like when a young Korean girl, He Ali, born with only four fingers, overcomes her disability and becomes a world-renowned concert pianist. Or just like when soul surfer Bethany Hamilton loses an arm from a shark attack, but then after that, bravely gets back on the board becoming a professional surfer, winning multiple awards and two national titles, inspiring the world to live strong. Or like the one that was born without arms and legs, And he uses his tragic story to inspire millions around the world to live a life without limits. Nick Vujicic, he said, if God does not give me the miracle, he will make me the miracle for someone else. Amen. Amen. God uses foolish things to confound the wise, weak things to confound the mighty. God chose the foolishness and the weakness of preaching chiefly because the weaker the vessel, the greater the. He is glorified and magnified. He is the God that can turn weakness into strength and foolishness into wisdom. He loves to demonstrate the fullness of his power through the weakness of humanity. And for that, I am so grateful. How about you? So now we want to highlight some of the weaknesses of preaching and see how the Lord turns it into strength and into power. You see, there are, there are four difficult challenges major challenges, I should say, in preaching, four potentially paralyzing factors that we face when we preach or when we try to witness to others. But the reality is that these factors should not paralyze us, but rather it should empower us. So I want to share with you some of these challenges. We're going to go through them one by one, and and we're going to demonstrate practically how God turns something that is foolish into something that's wise. Something that is weak into something that is strong. One of the first challenges in preaching is the weakness of human ignorance. The weakness of what? And I hope you'll write this down. But one great hindrance of preaching that causes people to to not preach or to not share witness is that that many people feel that they don't know enough to preach. How many of you ever felt like that before? Now, why should I preach? Why should I, get, why should I give a Bible study? I don't know enough. I'm ignorant. And the knowledge of our own ignorance can silence our witness. Or we may feel that the audience knows more than we know. And friends, I feel like that all the time, especially when I'm invited to do training to pastors. Like, who am I? Well, I don't know more than anybody else. This is a reality, friends, that we must Accept and learn to deal with because the truth is we do not have exclusive access to what we preach. God has made the truth accessible to all. It says here in the book Councils on Sabbath School Work, Ellen White writes, The Bible is written for who? Not the scholar, but the common people, as well as for scholars. And it is within the comprehension of all. You see, the reality of this fact will cause the novice or beginner preacher to feel intimidated to preach. They'll think to themselves, I don't know enough. What can I teach others? But what we need to worry about is not our, our ignorance. We don't have to worry about what we don't know. We just have to make sure that we know Jesus. Amen? We just have to share, don't worry about what you don't know. Just share what you know and who you know. You see, in order to lead someone, literally and physically, you don't have to be a mile ahead of them. In order to lead someone, you just got to be one half step ahead of that person in order to lead someone. Isn't that right? In fact, it's, it's, it's sometimes ineffective. It's very ineffective, in fact, if you're a mile ahead of someone trying to lead someone. You only have to be one step ahead of somebody, or a half step. So don't worry about what you don't know. Just share what you got, Amen. And share who you know. I love what it says here. Acts 4, 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. If you look up the Greek, it's the word idiotis. That means that they were looked upon as a bunch of idiots. (laughs) Unlearned and ignorant men. The Bible says that they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with... Jesus, You see, sometimes it's not really about what we are saying that makes an impact, but rather the power and the conviction of how we say it. You see, most people may know that we might be unlearned and ignorant, and we don't know a lot. So what? People will still marvel at the power of God working through us. So it's not just the words, but the experience behind the words that is full of potency. It says here in the book, Christ Object Lessons, page 232, that the most intellectual, those who are looked upon as the world's most gifted men and women are often, what? Refreshed. By the what kind of words? The simple words of one who loves God and can speak of that love as naturally as the worldling speaks of things that interest him most deeply. Friends, you don't have to have a degree in order to preach. You just have to have an experience with Jesus. You don't have to know all things. You just got to know Christ. You got to know just a little bit and just share what you know. Don't worry about what you don't know. Share what you got. And who cares if people already know it? Human nature is such that we need to hear things repeated over and over and over again. Isn't that right? And even simple words is refreshment to gifted minds when you can speak those simple words from an experience with God as naturally as a worldling speaks of things that interest him the most. You see, friends, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 52, therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things what? New and old. In other words, friends, the point is this. God is not calling us to be original. He's calling us to be faithful. And we have to remember that the Word of God has creative power. Even old truths, truths that people have heard before, can give new life and a new experience to the listener. Amen? Old truths have power to bring new life. And so, even if you're sharing on something that people already know, it brings new life still. You remember the story of Moses. God called Moses to preach, and what was Moses' excuse? I'm not eloquent. He had, a uh, 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 he had a stammering lip, stammering tongue. And he said, They're not gonna listen to me. What did God say to Moses? He asked Moses a question. He said, Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? In other words, don't worry about what you do not have. What's in your hand? Use what you got. And what you give, what you have, and God will work wonders through the rod of your preaching. You see, our qualification to preach is not so much what we know, it's who we know. Amen? And so, the fact that we're ignorant, the fact that we don't know a lot should not paralyze us, it should empower us to trust in the wisdom of God. Amen? But then there's another challenge in preaching, the challenge of human sinfulness. You see, another great hindrance in preaching is that one may feel that they're not worthy to preach. And the knowledge of our own sinfulness can many times silence our witness. But this is a reality we must accept and we must learn to deal with, friends. Because the truth is this. We are a part of the sin problem that we are addressing when we witness and preach to others. You see, a doctor deals with the case of cancer in his patient or her patient as an outsider. But the preacher is dealing with the problem of sin as a patient themselves. In other words, the office of preaching does not give us moral superiority over our hearers, our listeners. Preaching does not give or add virtue to the one standing behind the pulpit. We are a part of the problem. We are a part of the problem that we're dealing with in witnessing and preaching. And the knowledge of our own human sinfulness can cause us to be silent. But I want you to notice what it says here in Testimonies to Ministers, page 404. The Lord would have his people divested of everything unscriptural in regard to the ministry. The men called to ministry should not be made idols of. They should not be looked upon with superstitious reverence. We're to revere no man. You know, some churches call their pastor reverend, but the Bible says that only God is reverent. Holy and reverent is thy name. That's why we don't call pastors reverent, because only God. We, re- we, re- we respect others, amen, but we, re- we revere God alone. We should not look upon ministers or preachers with some kind of superstitious reverence. They should not be made idols of. All should bear in mind that Satan's special efforts are directed against the ministry, He knows that it is but a human instrumentality possessing no grace or holiness of its own. My friends, the moment that you exalt the preacher, you put a target on that person. Because the devil knows, if you are admiring and just exalting a preacher, an individual, the devil knows that if he can cause that one to fall, he'll get you to fall too. Friends, we're all in this together. Amen? Yeah. I like to say that I'm just a beggar trying to share some bread. We're all beggars in need of the bread of life. Amen? Yeah. I preach because God is trying to save my life. Somebody said it like this. A call to preach is a public acknowledgement that your life is so messed up that's, that that's, this is the only way God can save you. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why God calls us to be witnesses, friends. And remember, when we talk about preaching, we're not talking about just the one that's behind the pulpit, but your pulpit is the person God places in your path day to day. It's the witness that you give to others, the one sole audience, as Ellen White puts it. And so a knowledge of our sinfulness and a sense of our own unworthiness can actually hinder us from doing what God calls us to do. But the truth is, That we are not ready to preach until we recognize that reality. In other words, if we don't recognize our unworthiness, we should never preach. Isaiah, the prophet, the gospel prophet, as he's known, wasn't always known as the gospel prophet. Isaiah was a cultured and educated member of the royal household. And by virtue of his background and experience, Isaiah at first felt eminently qualified for the prophetic office. He's known to us as the gospel prophet, but it wasn't always that way. In fact, if you were to read the first chapters of the book of Isaiah, you'll discover, friends, that that Isaiah is giving rebuke after rebuke after rebuke to the people of God. And when all you do is rebuke, there's a tendency to fall into spiritual pride thinking that you're better than others and holier than thou. And that's what Isaiah was was actually struggling with. In the first five chapters, he was the rebuking prophet. But then something happened in chapter 6 that changed Isaiah so dramatically that he is known today as the gospel prophet. What happened in chapter 6? You see, from chapter 6 on, the tone of Isaiah's message changes. Because in chapter 6, he saw something that that transformed him. And friends, whatever Isaiah saw, I want to see. Whatever he heard, I want to hear. What did Isaiah see in chapter 6? He saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon the throne. And as he saw God sitting upon the royal throne in the holy temple, he then saw holy, sinless angels veiling their faces in reverence and bowing down, crying, holy, holy, holy. And when Isaiah saw God for who God really is in all of his purity, righteousness, and holiness, it was then that Isaiah finally saw himself for who he really was. He saw God for who God really is. And by contrast, he saw himself for who he really was. And what was Isaiah's response? He then I said, woe is me. I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Upon seeing the perfect holiness of God, Isaiah saw how undone he was. The contrast between God's righteousness and his wretchedness was painfully distinct. He saw himself not as a polished preacher, but as a sinful servant. You see, my friends, the closer we come to Jesus, the more sinful we see ourselves. Like a mirror. There's a mirror in the back wall, and I see myself from, the, from, this, from this distance. Man, I look pretty good. I got a nice suit on, I'm up here preaching, man, I look pretty good. But the closer I get to the mirror, I begin to see the blemishes on my face and the defects of my life. My friends, the closer you come to Jesus, the more sinful you see yourself. And so if you feel yourself ready and worthy to speak, you are not ready to speak. But if you feel yourself unworthy to speak even a word... That's when the Lord does for us what he did for Isaiah. He purges our lips and our hearts with the coal from the altar of incense. That fiery rock, a symbol of Christ, who purges our lives and our lips from self-righteousness. Amen? And so when we let Jesus purge our hearts, then he is proclaimed on our lips, and only then will we be able to say like Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah needed to see God first in order to reveal him to others. The vision of God's purity revealed his own impurity and weakness. And when Isaiah was, saw that, he was now ready to identify with broken, suffering, sinful humanity. Now he was ready to go. Why? Because he had empathy And humility for others. You see, friends, the awareness of our weak, sinful condition ought to produce these two things. Humility. What is humility? A low view of oneself. That will protect us from being proud when we preach. But also it should produce in in us empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and share in the feelings of others. This will enable us to connect with our audience, not as a preacher preaching from a pedestal, but as a fellow traveler in the wilderness seeking to head to the promised land together. Amen? But it should not produce self-consciousness. Don't let the knowledge of your weakness and sinfulness cause you to be silent. I like what Henry Wright said, powerful Adventist preacher, he said, we do not want to pass our fears and doubts to people, but our faith and hopes. Use the pulpit to announce what God has done for you, not what sin has done to you. Amen? Remember this reality, friends, that God still uses imperfect people to preach a perfect message. So don't wait till you're perfect to preach. If you do, you will die A silent death. Amen? But then there's another potentially paralyzing factor when it comes to preaching. Not only the challenge of human ignorance and the challenge of human sinfulness, but number three, the challenge of human comprehension. Another great hindrance in preaching is that the nature of the subject matter is that it cannot be fully explained with human words. This is a reality we must accept and learn to deal with. You see, God, the subject of God and the subject of truth, is not like math or English, the subjects of math and English, that where all the idiosyncrasies can be mastered and explained. When it comes to God and truth, we're dealing with a subject that is too deep and too profound to be explained with human language and to be comprehended with a three and a half pound brain. God can never be fully known to us. Therefore, he can never be fully explained by us. The Bible says that we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, does that mean that we can never know truth? Not at all, friends. We don't believe in relativism. We believe that We can actually know truth because that's what Jesus said. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Friends, we can actually know in an absolute objective sense. There is religious relativism that is infecting many churches of the world today like cancer and people as a result don't know what they believe. There are no absolutes, they say, but friends, that is a satanic deception. We can know what the truth is, and when we do, it will make us free. Amen? The point is simply this, though, that the subject matter of our message cannot be mastered. It can never be fully mastered. And it's interesting that the academic degree in seminary is a master's of divinity, but friends, we can never master divinity. Maybe we should change it to Grasper of Divinity. (laughs) Never shall we be able to reach the summit of His glory. Never shall we be able to to reach the very depths of His grace. The glory of God is higher than the highest mountain. His marvelous grace is deeper than the deepest ocean. You see, by nature, God is infinite. Infinite. And therefore, it's impossible to fit the infinite one in a a three-and-a-half-pound brain. But friends, this reality of, of the weakness and limit of human comprehension should not paralyze our preaching or witness. Why? Because here's the reason. God has not called us to try to explain that which is beyond us. He's called us to preach that which he has revealed to us. And he has revealed everything necessary for us to know that he's a God that we can trust, we can love, and we can serve. Amen? Amen. We know in part, therefore, we prophesy and preach only in part. The good news is that God has not called us to preach everything, things that we don't know that's beyond us. Just share what God has revealed. God has revealed to us that is sufficient. Deuteronomy 29 29 reveals that reality. It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, write it down, it says, But as, as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, we usually use this verse when it talks in the context of heaven, and it's true for heaven, but it's, it's the context it says, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the what? The deep things of God. God has re- revealed to us not everything, but he's revealed to us some beautiful things, some deep things, and those are the things we are focus- we're to focus on sharing. It says here in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 703. Check this out. If it were possible... For created beings to attain to a full knowledge of God and his works, then having reached this point, there there would be for them no further discovery of truth, no growth in knowledge, no further development of mind or heart. God would no longer be supreme, and men having reached the limit of knowledge and attainment would cease to advance. Let us thank God that it is not so. God is infinite. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And to all eternity, men may be ever searching, ever learning, and yet they can never exhaust the treasures of His wisdom. God intends that even in this life, truth shall be ever unfolding to His people. There is only one way in which this knowledge can be attained. We can attain to an an understanding of God's Word only through the illumination of that Spirit by which the Word was given. Amen? So, What's the point? We need to remain in tune with the Holy Spirit. We need to approach the pulpit with reverence and holy awe. We should not major in the minors and minor in the majors. Let's focus and preach on that which is clear. And let us cease making salvational issues out of things that are not. Can you say amen? Amen. There are many people within this church. It's coming up with some things, that they're making salvational issues on, on things that are not salvational issues at all. My friends, let's remember that we're going to be studying God throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Amen? Amen? And so let's not major in minors and minor in majors, but also let's look forward to the day when the Bible says, that which is perfect is come, and that which is in part shall be done away with, and then we shall know even as we are known. That's exciting. Amen? And so, the limit or the the, the weakness of human comprehension should not hinder the preacher. It should empower us to make plain the things that God has revealed. Then there's a fourth challenge, the weakness of human attention. Another challenge in preaching is that the modern mind cannot handle a talking head. You see, our world is so sin-saturated... We are accustomed to sound bites and flashing lights. Our attention span is so short. Our spiritual sensibilities have become numb by the anesthesia of worldliness. The frontal lobe has been turned off, switched off and desensitized. The soil of human hearts has been hardened by the trampling of constant stimulation so much so that the seed of God's word seldom penetrates the hardened ground of our lives. You see, naturally, a talking head will put you to sleep. And some of you are struggling with that even right now. (laughs) If you feel sleepy, just shake yourself. (laughs) And if you see someone nodding off, just go ahead and give them a sanctified nudge. For now is a high time for us to awake out of sleep. <laughs> but that's the reality, friends, <clears throat> that we face. The foolishness of preaching. You see, the natu- naturally a talking head will put us to sleep. But here's the thing, friends. The problem is not with the message. It is with our own desensitized minds. But how do we overcome this potentially paralyzing factor? How do we overcome... The weakness of human attention. Well, here's how we not how, how we not do it. We don't try to overcome it by copying or competing with cheap Hollywood theatrics. We don't we need to contextualize the method without compromising the message. I call it contextualized without compromise. We do we overcome the weakness of human attention by Using media and music not to replace the word of God but to complement the preaching of the word, nothing can or ever should take place, take the place of God's primary means of saving lost humanity the foolishness of preaching. And so, the preacher needs to learn how to use language in such a way to capture and captivate the mind. His illustrations ought to be relevant, his tone must be engaging. His theology must be sound, and His language ought to be profound. You see, God calls us to be biblical, but also beautiful. He calls us to be right, but also winsome. What we share ought to be sound, but it also ought to be profound at the same time. And by doing so, we're grabbing and arresting and keeping and holding the attention of those people who are normally going to fall asleep from a talking head. Amen? This experience is exactly what God has promised to his people. Not that experience, <laughs> but this right here, Isaiah 41, 15. Behold, God says, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth, and thou shalt thrash the mountains and beat them small and shalt make the hills as chaff. Oh, I love this promise. God says he's going to make our mouth and our message a sharp instrument with teeth to thrash the mountains of spiritual indifference and Laodicean lethargy, God can give us the wisdom to do exactly that. Amen? Amen? And in our last presentation, we'll look at some of those things God has revealed to us, some of the methods in the, in the mechanisms, the, the way that we deliver the message, creative tools of language and writing and speech. We'll deal with some of those practical things. God said through Jeremiah, chapter 23, 28, and 29, He hath made my, he hath made my word. Let him speak my word faithfully. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And then in Luke 21, 14 and 15, Jesus promised us, therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And I want to have that experience. How about you? Charles Bradford wrote a very excellent book on preaching, Preaching to the Times, page 22. I Don't you notice what he says as we begin to close. If we listen to the secular communication experts and their critique of the sermon form, we would give up preaching. And unfortunately, many churches are doing exactly that. They replace it with an hour-long worship service and the, and the, the, the talk, they call it a talk or a, a short little talk, five, ten minutes maybe because they're listening to the secular communication experts. The stand-up, straight-talk, lecture approach is the worst form of communication, they say. But any preacher who has experienced the joy of forgiveness, have you experienced the joy of forgiveness? And as a result, the energizing presence knows also that as he spoke in this context, virtue went out of him. And so, friends, let us ask God to give us wisdom to contextualize without compromise. Let us learn to use language in a way that captivates the minds of the modern man. Let us utilize illustrations that are relevant to our contemporary society and then like the Bible says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. You may not find it on that day, but after many days. What does that mean? Cast your what is the bread? It's the word. What do the waters represent? Multitudes of people. Just give the word. And you'll find it. It will not return void. It will accomplish what it pleases. Maybe not that day, but after many days. You know, God has the power to move mountains. The most hardened person God can move, God can move mountains. But sometimes God moves mountains one pebble at a time. So we got to be patient and leave the results with God. Amen? So as we review, we've highlighted four potentially paralyzing factors when it comes to preaching that many people will, will, will be silent because of it. But we need not be hindered or afraid of it. We need to recognize that God turns weakness into strength, foolishness into wisdom. What are these? The weakness of human ignorance. It demonstrates the power of divine revelation. Number two, the weakness of human sinfulness demonstrates the power of divine forgiveness. Number three, the weakness of human comprehension demonstrates the power of divine wisdom, and the weakness of human attention demonstrates the power of divine patience with us. No wonder why God calls it foolishness. Not the preaching of foolishness, but the foolishness of preaching. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the things that are mighty. God loves revealing His power through the weakness of humanity. And as we close, remember, friends, the primary reason why God had chosen this is to save not only the masses, but the messenger himself. I want to close by reminding us of these two powerful scriptures. Isaiah 43, verse 10. God says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that who? That you may know and believe me. Then understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Friends, God has called us to be witnesses and servants, not not just for them that hear us, but that we might know and believe Him, that we might be drawn into a closer experience of God, that we might empathize with the heart of God, with the heart of Jesus, that we might carry a burden for souls, that our hearts would break, for the things that God that breaks the heart of God, that we might sigh and cry for the abominations that are taking place in the world today. God is trying to save us in the process. When you reach out, God reaches in. And we ought to thank the Lord for that. And then 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Bible says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Preaching is is the means that God brings salvation to the masses and to the messenger. The act itself doesn't save. We can't ride the pulpit into the promised land. But the truth is this, friends, you can't light somebody else's path without your path being lit up at the same time. And God promises in his word, he that waters shall be watered also himself. I want to close with this poem. I don't know who wrote it. The author is unknown. The hand that held it goes like this. He held the lamp of truth that day so low that none could miss the way and yet so high and bright in sight and, and bring in sight that picture fair the world's great light that gazing up the lamp between the hand that held it scarce was seen. He held the picture stooping low to lips of little ones below, then raised it to the weary saint and bade him drink when sick and faint. They drank the pitcher thus between, the hand that held it scarce was seen. He blew the trumpet soft and clear, that trembling sinners need not fear. And then with louder note and bold, to raise the walls of Satan's hold, the trumpet coming thus between, the hand that held it scarce was seen. But when the captain says, well done, thou good and faithful servant come, lay down the pitcher and the lamp, lay down the trumpet and leave the camp. The hand that held them will then be seen, clasped in those pierced ones, not between. I want to have that experience. How about you? We hold up the lamp of truth, the pitcher of the water of life the trumpet of the gospel. And people, they see the lamp, they see the picture, they, they, they see the trumpet, but they don't see us, the one that's holding it, until Jesus comes. And the one that really held it, those pierced hands are seeing. My friends, that's what God wants to give to each and every one of us. He wants to use us to change the population of heaven, to change eternal destinies, and he will change ours in the process. So how many want to have this experience? Amen? We want God to use your weakness and your foolishness, turn it to strength and power. If so, why don't we stand together as we close? And just before we pray, in our next presentation tomorrow, we're going to deal with the make... Oh, excuse me, that's not the one. We're going to deal with the matter of the message. We're going to look at eight features that every sermon, every Bible study ought to be measured by. Every single sermon, in order for it to be complete, balanced, and powerful, must have these eight features. And so we hope that you won't miss it. It's going to be an awesome day tomorrow. Uh, Pray, and the Lord will will show you where you need to be. If you need to be back here or another seminar, uh, let the Holy Spirit lead. But let us pray as we close. Thank you so much, God, for your great love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you chose the foolishness of preaching not only to save the masses, but to save us. And that even though we are limited by our own ignorance, our own sinfulness, our own comprehension, and our own attention, that you still can use us. So Lord, we pray that you'd please fill us. Make us preachers, not of profession, but of possession. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us that holy boldness to speak for you, to shine for you, in this dark and cold world around us. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring us. Thank you for blessing us. Be with us the rest of this day Is our prayer in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.